Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 706-0111. When I went to bed last night, it was at halftime of the Pelicans game. They were up 17, maybe, something like I think it was 17. And the Warriors were not looking good at all. But, you know, one of the things that I hear people say a lot that I don't really agree with the general tone of it is, they were up 15 points. Well, that's nothing. Like, 15 points is not Like, now, if you get up to, like, 25 you know, in that range, then that's a pretty good, you know, that that, that one's, it's, I mean, 15-point deficits. How often are 15-point deficits overcome in the NBA? Like, every night. Probably, I would venture to say, multiple times every night. So this idea that, well, you're up 15 or 7, like, that's really not that much. I mean, that can be overcome in a hurry. And it happens every night. And so it's not like I said, you know, it's like some lock or something. But I like the way, I don't know, it just, when I went to sleep, it just seemed good. And, of course, I wake up and look, and not only did they lose, but they lost by double figures. So it's just, that can happen, especially there. I mean, you know, the Warriors can score points in in bunches and obviously they did last night. So that was good. Something that did happen yesterday, though, that I think I'm very excited about, unless I'm totally misinterpreting this, but I think Arthur Blank made Lamar Jackson mad yesterday. Like, I sh- it sure seems that way. I love that. Like, good job. Appreciate that. I might I can go to Home Depot sometime soon, even if I don't need to. But, um, which I try to avoid as much as I can. But um, I think he made him mad. Like he, you know, I don't have any problem with with him thinking that. But the fact that he did that, he said it publicly, and it's you know all these people are talking about it all over the country. I think that I think that even if they presume in the future that. I don't know. Lamar seems to be the kind of person that really takes to heart what people say. And so I kind of think he made him mad. And I, that's a good thing. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Lamar Jackson situation, but I'm feeling much better now that our friend, the owner of the Falcons, made him mad and that he, you know, that, that, really bad feeling I've been having the whole offseason and he's getting up with the Falcons may not happen. Now, you know, they publicly said Jarvisman Ritter's going to be their quarterback. And maybe he is. I mean, obviously, if they get a better option, you're going to take it. I mean, you kind of understand that. Um, 
but it's uh, no, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I feel I feel better about that scenario. Man, they're now they're talking about Odell going to the Jets too. Like some people are already convinced that's going to happen. Odell's going to go to the Jets with Lazard and with the you know the other wide receivers they already have. Um, there's some people that believe that the Patriots are the team that's going to go after Lamar Jackson in the end after when this happens. Can you imagine if that happens? And in the AFC ESPN division, you have um, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and then Tua. I mean, it will be, and, and again, Tua's got, just incredible weapons. Of, you know, Tua may have the best weapons around him of, of, of that group. Well, he does. I mean, he does have the best weapons around him in that group. So even though he's fairly distant fourth in that group, I, I don't know that the offense is a distant fourth. So that would be that would be something. I, I don't know that – the only reason I, I think that has some merit to it, although I really don't expect it to happen, is that Belichick has always been enamored with the running quarterback for whatever reason, which why does he have Mac Jones on his team? I, I can't answer that question. But um, he's always been pretty enamored with the with the running quarterback, especially one as dynamic as, as Lamar is. So I don't know if they would pull the trigger on that, but – you know, I could see them making it work because there there aren't that many teams in the league that are in a position to change what they do on offense. But what the Patriots ran last year wasn't really an offense. Like, they don't really have an offense. So, like, what, what, what would it change? I mean, they had a bozo defensive coordinator calling their plays. Like That's still – I don't know that – I don't know that a lot of us fully appreciate how bad of a decision that was. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it, it like I, I think I've I might I don't know if I've mentioned on this show or RP3. Like the only reason he got away with that is because he's Bill Belichick, right? Like any other coach would have been fired for that. That was the dumbest We're take thing. A defensive what was he doing? Like that's like it's like signing Jacob Degrom and being like. Well, he was a shortstop so in high school, so we're going to play him at shortstop. I know he's a good pitcher, but we're going to play him at short. He's just we, we really see him as a shortstop. It's like he's the best pitcher in the game. We're going to play him at shortstop. Like we have a we have this defense coordinator, but I I really think he could call offensive plays. <laughs> it's like you got to be kidding me. That was just um I don't know. It's still it's still baffling that that happened. So the point is they don't really have an offense. So that also lends itself to um, the mindset plus, you know, even it and 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 it wasn't the same offensive coordinator, but just two years ago when they played with Cam, they kind of ran that kind of an offense anyway. I mean, they didn't really have a passing offense that year, so they they've fairly recently basically run the kind of offense that they would need to run. That Lamar would obviously do it way way better just because he's an incredible. Athlete, he can really, really, he knows how to run the ball. So, 
I don't know. I mean, it makes it somewhat believable anyway that that, that, that could transpire. And it just seems like, like we said yesterday, by draft day, it could be could be very interesting um, how, how all of that's going to play out, and you would think you would think the Aaron Rodgers thing is going to be done. But think of it: those of you who and look, I, I get it. Just sick of hearing about the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets thing. Is this ever going to happen? If they don't trade him by the draft, which is a little less than a month away now then when are they going to trade him? Because, like, at that point, from what I can see, there is – what incentive do the Jets – I mean, do the Packers have? And I thought I heard something I – I thought I heard somebody say – and, again, I've said many times I'm a terrible sports lawyer, all that fine print and this rule and that rule. I, I'm t- I just it's, – it's hard for me to keep my mind – um, get a grasp of all that, but I heard, I thought I heard someone say that somehow it helps the Packers if they wait until like June the second to release or to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Have you heard that? Well, yeah, the dates things are weird uh, because I have heard that's we saw that with the Michael Thomas situation throughout. They kept saying this date makes more sense to do this, you know, contract adjustment. So yeah, I'm not exactly. I don't so really, why I don't wouldn't f- if you're the Packers? Now the, the right. thing that doesn't make it worth that while is if you really can help yourself in the draft this year with getting. I don't know that they would get. They're going to get the 13th pick, but let's say it's possible that they do. Yeah, then you, you kind of want that to help Jordan Love be successful. Um, so that's the that's the downside. But but that, but that's what I'm saying. If it doesn't happen by the draft then I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon after the draft because then the Packers are really going to wait. So we're going to be, you know, we're going to be well into the summer maybe before this happens. It seemed like they would just want to rid themselves of this cat and move on. But, no, that is a, um, a again, all fascinating situations to in, in, and see how that plays out. All right, we've got a busy day with interviews. We had... Mostly open phone lines yesterday and the day before. There won't really be those opportunities on the next few days. And um, it's just kind of working out that way lately. But uh, we're going to be talking LSU with Koki in the next segment. And then we're going to um, – tomorrow is opening day for Major League Baseball. So at about 9.35-ish – we're going to be talking to our friend, the guru. We haven't talked to him since football season. And um, and we're going to kind of look at Major League Baseball. It looks pretty straightforward on the surface. But we learn every year there are teams that we think are going to be really good, that aren't as good. And then there's always a couple teams, two or three teams, that come out of the blue. You know, we've had two World Series teams in the last, what, four years who right in the month of July looked like they were dead in the water and they were firing their manager and they, or they were threatening to fire their manager and they looked like a complete disaster show and, they made, and, and the Nationals won the World Series and the Phillies made the World Series last year. When in June into, and into July, 
they look like complete disaster shows and their manager's neck was on the line. And yet they made it to the World Series. So a lot of people think they have a crystal clear view of all what's going to happen. But a lot of times, even in June and July, you don't know what's going to happen in a season. So there's going to be some surprises. It's just kind of like I want to do with the Saints draft. I want to eliminate all the surprises by discussing them. I mean, I want to, you know, I don't want to act like, well, there's no way this team can win. And then they win. And like, well, where where were you when you, you know, it's kind of like me and I'm so old school with the draft. I hate people in fantasy. They pick up players they didn't even know about existed on draft day. That drives me bonkers. Like, where were you on draft day if you if you were so high and mighty and you, you didn't even know who this player was? But anyway, we'll take a timeout, come back, shift gears, talk LSU with Koki Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our friend Koki Riley. How are you, sir? Doing really well. How's it going? Well, the first two weekends, I guess you could say, had the same results. But, you know, I I, I just I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit because baseball, it, to me, it was just the most baseball thing that could happen. Uh, you know, if you would have told any, I was like, okay, the LSU is going to beat Arkansas two out of three. And the one game they're going to lose is with their ace pitcher pitching great. You know, you don't. Yeah. You, you would think that would not be the game you would lose, and that's the only one they lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, in order to fight fire, you need to fight back with fire, and that's exactly what Arkansas did. They were really aggressive in throwing their best pitchers in that game. Um, I mean, Hunter Holland and Hagen Smith were excellent, both lefties, which is also a crucial fact because LSU's had some trouble with trouble with, with some lefties so far this season. Um, so they really threw out their two best pitchers in the same game, and that's how they were sort of able to um, match what Skeens was doing on, on the scoreboard. And, and they were able to outlast LSU, which sort of um, fell apart in the 10th inning. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was just a really intense, really good game. I mean, you're not going to win them all, even when Paul Skeens is on the mound. It's, it's, it's what happens, you know. Uh, like the Mets lost a lot of games with Jacob Degrom. <laughs> yeah, um, not not a perfect comparison, but you you sort of get what I'm getting at. It was kind of one of those games, and um, not a bad loss by by not too many means. I mean, I think the bullpen collapse at the end was um, uh, definitely troubling, especially with the way Christian Little p- pitched in that ninth inning. But um, I think overall, like they're, they'll, I mean, they'll be fine. I mean, as you saw on that Saturday, I mean, to win what twenty six to seven in those. Um, back-to-back games, that doubleheader, like that's about as dominant as they can get against the top five-ish team in the country. So, um, I mean, it's hard to, to, to complain too much about this uh, weekend, even if there are some, I guess, things you can pick at. And I, I 
I, I guess trying to figure out exactly what the back end of the bullpen is is probably one of them, even though, again, they got some good performances at that bullpen, mostly on Saturday. So you, so you would say that the bullpen long, the bullpen depth are what are like really trying to figure out who really is capable of being a, what we would call a seven inning guy, eight inning guy, nine inning guy out of the pen. I mean, is that the biggest question from these first two series or what? Um, I guess so. I guess that would be it. I think trying to figure out whether Christian Little can be or cannot be a guy for you at the end of these games, I think it's, it's, rare, it's, very, it's something that has definitely popped into the forefront. He, he has struggled um, a lot during conference play. He started last night's game, actually, and pitched pretty well, didn't give him a run two innings, but again, that's grambling, so um, I don't know how much you can take, into, take, take that into account, but like, they do have some options, though. I mean, Chase Shores has been very, very good. Yeah, coming out of the pen in SEC play, Griffin Herring came in for two innings and pitched um, about as well as you could have reasonably expected on Saturday. I, I mean, Gary Edwards threw in both games, both the game two and game three of that uh, of that doubleheader that they had on Saturday. He was, and I mean, he was about as good as you could have asked for. I mean, through what seventy nine pitches across. Um, those two games and was just lights out against a really good Arkansas lineup. So see that, so they have options, you know, it's just a matter of figuring out like who's for real and who, who they, who they can lean on. And Nate Ackenhausen didn't even pitch this past weekend. And that might've been a matchup thing. That might've been a small injury thing. We're not hundred percent sure exactly what's going on there. Jay Johnson's been a little bit vague um, about it and might've been matchup because they really didn't throw a ton of, him and Riley Cooper came in at the very end of the Saturday, of the second Saturday game, but really uh, they sort of went away from those two guys. But those two guys are um, Cooper and Ackenhausen are, are guys that I figure to be uh, kind of prominent in a lot of the matchups they face against the teams, and those are two lefty options, and Herring's also lefty too. So they they have options. It's just a matter of like figuring out which guy is best for which role, and um, and figuring out the whole Christian Little situation because. I mean, he's kind of been the crux of a lot of the, I guess, any time they've had a bullpen issue during conference play, he's sort of been at the crux of it. All right, so you also mentioned that some left-handers have given him trouble. How surprising is that? Um, Not terribly surprising because they kind of had the same issues last year. And if you, and if you look at this order, they have a lot of lefties. Um, like a good guy like Josh Pearson, a good guy like Trey Morgan, Braden Joubert, do you play him, do you not? He's a lefty. Um, Kate Beloso, I believe he's a lefty. So, yeah, like they have some issues um, with that. I think a lot of has to just do with the fact that they have a lot of lefties. And I think on that day in particular, like Tommy White just happened to have a bad day, and all of a sudden you have some lefties in the order. You have a couple guys with bad days, and now you're staring at down at the barrel of a one-one or one-nothing game. So um, sometimes it can just happen that quickly. Um, and the offense never really got going in that game, and it's. But this lefty thing, I think, does there is some smoke to this because I, I just feel like the best lefties they faced against this season, they've had some trouble at the plate. Um, and I know they hit the, the lefty reliever Zach Morris uh, on Saturday really, really well, but Morris also entered entered, entered the game with an eight ERA, so it's not like he was necessarily blowing everyone away with his stuff. Um, so, so yeah, like I, 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 I do think this is a slight issue for them. 
Um, they just seem a lot more comfortable against right-handed pitching, and it seems like against lefties, it's a lot of a lot of the soft stuff away that they have trouble um, sort of staying patient on and uh, sort of determining what to swing at and what not to um, when it comes to from the left side. I don't know exactly why that's the case, but I, I think everything I've sort of said it sort of is I think is a solid, educated guess as to why um, that might be the case. Uh, I would say wouldn't certainly doesn't get any easier. Does it get tougher this weekend? Um, I, I mean they don't face a ton of lefties, so to say. Like Dollinger's a righty, I believe Beam's a righty, uh, for example. So I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue against Tennessee. But I mean Tennessee has a lot of talent, regardless. Though <laughs> I mean Burns, Beam, Dollinger, like these guys are really talented pitchers, and um, that's going to be tough. Regardless of the lineup that they go up against, and I mean this Tennessee team hasn't been quite as good as they were originally built. I, I think their offense has taken a step back just because they lost so many guys in the draft this past year. Um, and then, but their pitching is still there. I mean, they still have a lot of the guys that they had last season. So uh, this is going to be a really, really interesting matchup, and it's going to be a really fun matchup to watch, just given how many uh, first-round pick caliber sort of guys that are going to be in the lineup for both teams. Um, it's it's like, I mean, Dollander versus Skeens. Like that, that matchup alone is uh, worth a ticket of emission. So definitely looking forward to that. All right. I want to get a few thoughts from football. Is there any – what are the one or two or three most significant things that you've heard or conclusions – not conclusions, but things or trends that you've heard from spring practice so far? Um, I think it's, it's kind of hard to um, come up with a lot of these conclusions just because there there's so many guys who are right now nursing injuries or out for the spring because of injuries. Um, so it's, it is kind of tough to tell like what the depth charts are going to look at are going to look like. Um, we also we also haven't had quite as extensive of a look of, of practices this year as we had last year. And I'm not trying to like throw all of you under the bus by saying that or anything. It's just sort of a fact. Um, so. We don't. We're not 100 percent sure as to what everything sort of looks like. I, I think um, with this John Emery news that it sounds like he, he's still not with the team and, and all that sort of stuff because of um, I guess academic issues. Uh, at least this is what Kelly said. Uh, what what is it now? A few weeks ago. Um, I think the fact that that's still the case and you might want to look at the running back room as sort of a uh, issue for depth. Uh, right now they're incredibly light on the offensive line, but a lot of the reasons, but they also have um, reinforcements coming out of the way. Like a couple, they, they need a guy like Charles Turner to get healthy again. They need a guy like Miles Frazier to return to practice. They need um, all the side needs that they had, you know, join the team because none of those guys were early enrollees. Heard uh, Adams, Chester, uh, none of those guys were early enrollees. So they're not with the team right now. So that's why they're, just incredibly thin on the offensive line, so it's 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 been kind of tough to gauge like what this depth chart's going to look like exactly and all that sort of stuff. And on the offense, I mean, we we I mean, we don't need to look at a depth chart to have a pretty good ideas of who's going to start and who's not going to start. So um, I guess so far it's been a pretty quiet spring practices, I'd say, um, and uh, it's it's hard to sort of get a feel as to what this team exactly looks like, mostly because of the injuries. All right, one more question on the way out. What percent, and this is totally a guess, I understand that, what percentage chance would you give that Walker Howard ends up being the starting quarterback at Ole Miss? 
Um, pretty low. I, I just think like Spencer Sanders has proven that he can be a quality college football starter. And I mean, Jackson Howard, not Jackson Howard, uh, Jackson Dart knows the offense pretty well. So I, I, I don't really see how Walker overcomes that unless he has a lights out spring and fall and just sort of steals the job from one, if not both of those guys. And I mean, I, I can see Howard being the starter next year, you know, or and Dart transferring or Dart winning the job and going off the NFL and Sanders losing his eligibility. Like I could see that, but I don't. But this year, I, it's it seems like it seems pretty far fetched to me. Um, but I mean, I can also see that like he was gonna it was gonna be tough for Walker to be the starter next year if he stayed at LSU. So I mean, you could argue that you know it, it makes sense that he left, even though now. So he's just going to be a starting a third string quarterback again in 2023. So, all righty, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. All righty. Thanks so much. This is Footnotes on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our old friend, the guru. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, Kevin. Uh, doing well, man. You know, excited to come on here and talk some baseball. Well, you know, I, I, I think most of what I've heard is that, you know, it kind of, on the, on the surface, everything kind of looks Kind of clear cut, but I try to remind myself and everyone else that every year there are two or three teams that you think are going to be really good and they stink, and there are two or three teams that you think are going to be really bad and they contend. So do do you think it's going to be chalk, or do you think we're fooling ourselves with all this chalk talk I keep hearing? Yeah, I think we're fooling ourselves to to a decent degree because there's there's always unpredictability in baseball, like you said, you know, especially at that major league level is just, just I mean teams spend big the big market teams but that doesn't guarantee anything it's always seems to be a deal to where oh we think we've got it all figured out but teams come up out of nowhere that end up making a deep run so yeah I think that'll it's always tough to predict who those teams are going to be but yes I definitely think there'll be at least a couple surprises all right before I get to some other things and while we're on that subject like if you were going to name one or two teams that you kind of like what you see, you don't know if they're ready, but if they end up being a year ahead of schedule maybe, could really shock some people this year, who, who would that be? Yeah, I think some teams to look out for would be in the National League. I think the Diamondbacks could be sneaky because they've got a lot of young talent. I think they're probably a year or two away, though, but they've got – some pieces there where they could surprise some people in the NL West, which is expected to go ch- chalk with the Dodgers and Padres and probably will. But, you know, they're a team that could be sneaky. And in the American League, 
the team that's got all the young talent that's kind of in the same boat in the tough division, but they've got so many intriguing young pieces, the Orioles. I mean, they've got Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, a bunch of other pieces, and their pitching probably still not good enough for them to to make the playoffs. But I think they showed a lot last season, and they'll have even more talent this season where they could give some people some trouble. Absolutely. I think that, that that is an interesting, and we'll be getting to the uh, ESPN division in a little bit. Is there a harder team to figure out every year than the San Francisco Giants? No, not really. They're really tough. They can tend to be unpredictable. I think they could do pretty well this year. I think the Dodgers, Speaking of teams that, that might flop, I think the Dodgers could be a huge flop because they didn't do much in free agency, and they're so used to that. They're used to just, oh, well, if we have some weaknesses, we'll just go out and spend more money to address them. Or they didn't really do that this offseason. They pretty much just stayed in-house. They still got a lot of talent. But I could see the the Giants, I mean, like I said, the Diamondbacks probably a year away, the Padres, I think they have enough talent to be okay. But if the Dodgers would slip up, which I think is very possible, then, yeah, the Giants could sneak in because they've, they're always capable. They're just, they, they, it's a pitcher's park. Their rotation's always solid. So it just depends on how good their lineup is. And they made some additions. They got Mitch Hanniger, Michael Conforto. If those guys fan out, then, yeah, they could be sneaky as well. I think there's a couple players while we're in that division that are critical. And if they don't have big years, then those teams could be in more trouble than, than what some of us are thinking. And one of them you just mentioned is Michael Conforto. There's no way. He didn't even play last season. So there's no way of having any idea what he's going to do. But his ceiling is very high. Like, if he has a really good year and they get anything out of Mitch Hanniger, it would not surprise me if the Giants are better than we thought. And the other one is J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez went to the punks, and 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 I've always feared because he's Astros have had a lot of trouble getting him out since he left Houston. But if J.D. Martinez can go back to being an elite hitter, then their their lineup is going to be, you know, it's not an all star lineup anymore like we're used to seeing, but it would still be functional. But if they don't, if J.D. Martinez has another bad year by his standards, their lineup could have issues. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I actually had a debate about this yesterday. One of my coworkers at Betnola, he was saying that, oh, he really likes J.D. Martinez. But I kind of pushed back on that because I think J.D. Martinez is at an age where a lot of hitters fall off the wagon, and he kind of showed those signs of decline last year. And I don't think he's going to just be some magic solution there to Dodgers. They just didn't really go all in this offseason. Yeah, they've got they still got talent. They've got some internal options that could step up. But Gavin Luck, who was supposed to take over at shortstop, he tore his ACL and he's done for the year. So that was a big hurt. You know, their pitching's in trouble. The Walker uh, Bueller's probably done for the year. Uh, Gonsolin's already hurt. We know how Kershaw's been banged up and. You're depending a lot on a 30, 36, 37 now, J.D. Martinez. That's, that's not a good sign. So, yeah, it's good to see that division wide open. The Dodgers have had a stranglehold on that for a while, so it should, should, be, should be pretty fun. And you really don't know what you're going to get out of Syndergaard. And Dustin May has loads of potential, but he's also been mostly injured early in his career. So 
There's a lot more question marks than we've I mean, I can't even remember the last time the Punks had this many question marks. 100%. So, yeah, should uh All right. The, no, no, uh, Padres are trendy. It's kind of – and some people feel like, ah, oh, it's too good to be true. But to me, their roster checks out. I don't. I have to decide where you know. I'm certainly going to pick the Punks and the Padres one two. It would not. Sh- and you know, I'm at, I'm past the point of being surprised by the Giants, but I, I I'm also not at the point where I predict the Giants because if the Giants won the division, I I, I couldn't say I was surprised because they they've come out of nowhere many times in recent years and been better than what we thought. But the one division that I, I tell you what, when I tried to put pen to paper. That was by far the toughest decision to division to pick. Who would that be for you? Uh, to me, it was the AL Central. That was who. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to think of that. Well, from and, and the AL Central is not easy. I agree, but to me, the AL East is by far the toughest division to pick because it's the only division. And I know some people are going to choke when I say this. It's the only division where I it would not shock me if any of the teams won it. Like, it's the only division where the team that I pick last, whatever team that ends up being, and if they had a great year, it would not surprise me. Yeah, that's a good point. From top to bottom, it's probably still the strongest division. I mean, even the Orioles now are, are pretty decent. And yeah, the Red Sox are... They're still not bad. I mean, they, I don't. I don't like the Red Sox this season. That's another thing we debated about yesterday. I think the Red Sox are going to really stink. So I, I'm not high on them at all. But yeah, the big three though in that division, you know, Tampa Bay. They don't look every year. It's the same story. They don't look that good on paper, but they seem to figure something out. And I, I think though there could be a swap at the top. I think the Blue Jays could very well take the division this year. They they added some reinforcements this off season. They got strong pitching. The Yankees' pitching's already banged up. Their lineup's old. I, I think the Blue Jays could very well take first place there. You know, the thing about Tampa is they had as bad an offensive season as you can have. They were putrid offensively last season, and they still made the playoffs because they they just smarter than everybody else. It's just that's just the way it is. The the, the thing I I don't know that I, I I'm not really considering picking the Red Sox to win the division. But if Yoshida is good and this rookie first baseman Costas is is good, then their lineup's going to be fine. Now, I don't know. Their pitching I don't really trust and I've never been a Kenley Jansen guy, but uh, but he's still better than most closers. So I, I'm not really considering to pick them first. But um, I, 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 the Blue Jays, like you said, are, I just think that's a that's – a, that one's just a hard team to anticipate who's going to have the bad year. Uh, it, 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 it's going to be – it's going to be uh, – I haven't – that's the only one that I have – like I have a bunch of blank spots. I really don't know – what I'm going to do. Now, you mentioned the AL Central. I think it's difficult because I kind of think the Twins are going to be better again. The Twins had mysteriously just an awful season last year. I don't know what happened to them, but I kind of think they're going to be better. 
I was never, I, you know, I think the LaRusa to the White Sox thing was a stupid idea, and that's over with, and the Guardians can just flat out pitch, although I've already ruined somebody, you know, uh, one of their best pitchers is already out for a couple months. So is that, <laughs> what about that division? Yeah, it's it's one that I was looking at it, and I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to overanalyze it here. I still think the Guardians win it. You know, they've still got decent amount of pitch, and I know McKenzie's out now. He's uh, your your curse lives on, but uh, I think with uh, with Bieber at the top there, they're they're pretty solid. And it just the thing is though, it's like if they were in any other division, they'd maybe get a wild card, probably third place, because they're not that great, honestly. But in that division, where they should still take it, the Twins, yeah, it'll be better, but they've still got a lot of question marks. They're they're definitely though, the team I think that's going to be the biggest challenge because I don't really like the White Sox. I mean, their roster is just. It's it's not very inspiring. It's it's old. It's got a lot of older guys that just and they lost Jose Abreu, been a stalwart there for years. I don't really trust their pitching. You know, Lance Lynn's getting up there. I know he throws a heavy ball, but he's just not. They're just not what they used to be. They had their little window, I feel like, and I think it's going to come down to the, the Guardians and Twins because then you got the Tigers and Royals who aren't anywhere close to contend. But I think the Royals have young talent. If they had a little better pitching in their rotation, I I, I kind of like their their lineup from a, from a young player prospect standpoint. Yeah, that's true. They they got the Italian breakfast at first base. Vinny Pasquantino really intrigued what he could do, and they've got the the two stud catchers, Perez and Melendez, and some other young pieces that are interesting. Bobby Witt. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think Bobby in, Witt like, is going to be a star. Wait, what was that? I said a lot of people think Bobby Witt's going to be a star. Yeah, and Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah, I forgot to mention him. Yeah, he's the best that they got. He's somebody that could. I mean, shoot, he was a first-round pick in our fantasy draft. Somebody with maybe a 30-home or 50-steal upside. So, yeah, they're interesting. No doubt about it. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll get a, We'll come back with the guru and finish out, get to a couple of divisions and teams we haven't gotten to yet. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We're kind of previewing the start of the Major League Baseball season tomorrow with our old friend, the Guru. All right, Guru, if I made you the statement that in my mind, on paper, the two best teams in the American League are the Astros and the Mariners, what would you say? I'd say you're on to something. I feel like they might very well be the best two. Astros, we know what they can do, and the Mariners, very intriguing. They've got a lot of young hitting, a lot of young pitching, so I, I wouldn't balk at that statement. <laughs> All right, last year, my toughest division to pick was the A was the NL ESPN division, and this year, I might be my easiest. What are your thoughts on that division? 
Yeah, I mean, we know who the big three are going to be there. You know, Braves, Mets, Phillies. The order, though, is a little tricky. I think, though, the Braves are going to win it. I don't think it's as complicated as people are making it out to be. To me, they're the most complete team there. The Phillies have been getting hit hard with the injuries here lately. And the Mets, I just... I mean, they've been getting hit too, and I just I just don't really buy the Mets. To me, they're just they're too dependent on Verlander and Scherzer, who are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, but they're just their their ages. I mean, they're at the age to where are they? Can you really rely on those two to throw two hundred innings? I, I I don't think you can. So to me, the Mets are I don't trust them. I don't trust them one bit. So I need a brave in a team there for sure. And I was I already think the Mets bullpen was their biggest question mark, and now they don't have their closer, which was the only thing I liked about their bullpen. Yeah, but I think they I think they might miss the playoffs. I really do. I don't know who's gonna come in and then take would take that sixth spot, but if they would slip up, I think they're the ones that would fall out. I just to me they do and they didn't they whiffed on Correa. They were gonna bring in Carlos Correa to reinforce their lineup, couldn't get a deal done with him nowhere. They didn't really improve their lineup. Not that their lineup was bad, but they just they didn't do it and they they, they had a make a signed Verlander, but everyone acted like, oh they spent all this money and they, that was I mean, other than him, what they really do? I mean, to me, they did. They just they. It's like, uh, yeah, they, to me, they're kind of fraudulent. Well, they signed the guy y'all had last year, the Quintana, but he's hurt too. Right. Yeah. And they, yeah, they basically yeah, in the in the, uh, the the Japanese pitcher. Yeah. Uh, Singa. Singa. I mean, I again, Singa's a, a giant question mark. I just don't know when teams come out of nowhere like the Phillies did, I just think it's hard to follow up on that. And like you say, they're already missing Harper for several months. They're already missing Hoskins for this season. I don't know really how good Alec Bohm really is. I tell you what, Taiwan Walker better have a good second half for like the first time in a long time, or I just don't know if the Phillies can follow up on last year. Yeah, I think the difference with this year's Phillies team, though, is is Trey Turner. I think Trey Turner's an MVP candidate. He's a, he's that that dude's gonna have a huge year. I think he's gonna he's gonna be like you know like Bobby Witt Jr. but better because he's been in the majors a while now and it's just I think Philly's gonna really treat him well. That park, the hitters park, so I think he's gonna go crazy at the top of that lineup and help get them. I don't know if they'll go back to the World Series, but I think they'll they'll probably win more regular season games this year because Wheeler and Nola that's a, that's a great one two punch in their rotation and their bullpen's pretty solid. All right, so last division that we haven't really touched on. I think everybody thinks your Cardinals are going to win it. If the Brewers would ever get any hitting, they just they their their lineup is always so bad. And do you buy the? There's a segment out there that think the Cubs are uh, could be better than people think. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of buying the Cubs. I think the Cubs might be the biggest threat to the Cardinals. I, I don't really buy the Brewers. Yeah, they got Burns and Woodruff, but outside of that, when you look at their roster, it's it's pretty rough. I mean, especially their lineup. Goodness, they, they, that lineup. I, that's going to be one of the worst lineups. Their lineup's not a whole lot better than the freaking Reds and the Pirates, who aren't anywhere close to contending. So yeah, I think the Cubs. Cubs could be trouble. They they signed some pieces that look pretty interesting, and they're pitching. You know, they brought in Tyone, who's looking good, and their their bullpen. They brought in some reinforcements. I don't know if they'll, they'll quite win the division. I think my Cardinals should be good because 
with Jordan Walker, the young prospect, combined with the proven studs, the Goldschmidt and Arenado, the lineup should be one of the best in MLB. But Cardinals pitching staff looking a little shaky. Wayne Wright's already hurt. He's up in age. So I think it's, uh, the Cardinals should win it, but it's not a given. Uh, I, I think another one, I mentioned Michael Conforto. A guy that I absolutely hate, I think, is going to be another one, and that's Cody Bellinger. It would not, I would not be totally shocked if he had a comeback season. I can't stand him, but but it would not shock me if he, if he has a comeback season. And if he does, that could support what you thought about the Cubs. Right. Yeah, I'm not – it wouldn't – yeah, I don't know what to think. And the new rules, though, that's what I mean. The new rules could maybe – uh, shift some things a little bit. Maybe guys like him that have been struggling might benefit from some of these changes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm definitely not taking the Cubs too lightly because they, they've got some talent. Uh, no question. Well, it's great catching up with you again. We appreciate your time. We look forward to enjoying the start of the season. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Kevin. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We're broadcasting live from the FCO's develop FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multi-family construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. And this is the only if you want to get in, now is the time. To do it, I um, we would just got off uh, the phone with the guru. Haven't talked to him on this show in a while. Talked to him off the air, but um, and he kind of, he, I, I was kind of, de- I'd kind of decided in my mind that I was going to pick the Mets second and the Phillies third. And out of all the con- all the things that we just discussed. Guru's got me like the whole Trey Turner factor. Like I, it's hard not to admire what Trey Turner does, and so, um, he's got me thinking that maybe he can elevate him over the Mets. I don't know if I'm going to change my mind because I had kind of penciled in the Mets second and the Phillies third, and 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 theoretically they could all three make the playoffs. Um. Although I think the Padres and the Punks are probably in pretty good shape, but still, that'd be one, two, three, four, five. No, no, they all—all all of those can't make the playoffs. But I, I, I think the Punks and the and the Padres will both make the playoffs. So I, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. I'm really considering not picking the Phillies to go to the playoffs, but we'll see. Um, he kind of gave me something to think about. There, but no, I the uh, I think the AL East is just by far the toughest division to predict, uh, and I'm uh, I haven't totally finalized that just yet. Again, the game hotline is seven zero six zero one 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 seven zero six zero one one one. Want to remind you, RP three and company is going to be headed to Big D for the. NCAA Women's Final Four, Raymond will be broadcasting live from downtown Dallas this Friday morning. We'll get you prepared as Kim Mulkey's team looks to take on Virginia Tech to try to become the first LSU basketball team, men or women, to reach the national championship game. And 
Just to remind you, RP3's Road Trip to Dallas presented by Bailey Cigar Room. All right, we talked a little bit about the Pelicans. They kind of teased fan for the fans who stayed up almost like if you stayed up late last night because the Pelicans had put together a win streak and you were feeling good and then you were really feeling good about halftime. Uh, I think 17 is correct, but something around, somewhere around 17 and then everything came crashing down. It was like, uh. So now you know how I feel as an Astro fan for the last for the better part of the last 20 years. Now, the only good thing is most of the time, the Astros, when they play the Angels and the Mariners and the A's over the last 20 years, not every time, certainly, it's baseball, they ended up winning. So most of the time when I stay up really late, they reward me with a win. Not always, but that is the worst when you gotta work the next morning and you gotta and you stay up till midnight and then your team loses, especially when the bullpen blows it. Oh, that's the worst. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Kevin, you know how you, you, you solve that problem what you just saying? What you do is you take the game. And then you wake up a little early in the morning, you kind of fast forward as it goes, and if you see they're losing, it's going to be a bad time, or you just go fast forward to the end and you go to work, and you still have your full, uh, you, you still have a good night. Uh, that's, a, that's a good thought. That is a good thought. Because you still don't know who won, you know what I mean? It's still, uh, you know, you don't know the results. But right. That's a, good, that's a good way to look at that. Kevin, you know, guys, you and uh, all were talking about some baseball. What do you think about the Cincinnati Reds this year? What do you think about their pitching staff? I think their pitching staff is going to be pretty good. You think it's going to be all right as a, as a team? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I Anybody who drafts with me knows that I bang my head on the ta- a hand on the table when someone picks someone that I liked. And I definitely wanted Hunter Green. I, I don't know how low his ERA is going to be because his team is not very good. I don't really like their everyday lineup very much at all. But um, but I do think he's going to strike out a lot of batters. I uh, I think Nick Lodolo is going gonna, is gonna to be good. I just don't – I like the top of it, and I like the closer. I just don't really like anybody else. Right. That, that's the way I see him. So I just think uh, the two pitches you mentioned I think will be real good. Their front of their rotation is going to be real solid. You know, talking about relievers, Kevin, you know, they got a lot of good re- young relievers out there. A lot of people are not talking about. Uh, that big boy from uh, Baltimore, he's pretty good, too, now. The Batista? Oh, yeah, he's an outstanding closer prospect, no question. I mean, they got a lot of young closers all over the major league. You know, a lot of these teams, that, you know, I think more teams are doing like what Tampa Bay does, and they don't have like a – a true closer, they have managers that like to use their best relief pitcher in the most crucial time. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think it's a smart move. The problem is the thing that keeps some from doing – like if they're all young and they're not making a lot of money like the raised pitchers tend to be, then it's easy. But if you got one of these guys making mega millions as a closer, then it's hard, it, it, it gets more complicated to do that. You know, because Seattle got two real good guys in the back end uh, with that Seawall and that Munoz. Absolutely, you know, uh, and, and, and I think they'll both get uh, double-digit saves this year. Who's going to 
be uh, uh, is Montero going to be the one uh, before Presley, or is somebody else in the mix? Well, uh... it depends how. Yes, on paper, but Brian Abreu, if he continues to pitch like he did in the playoffs last year, he's got the most. I mean, that cat could strike out the side. I mean, I. At any flip of a hat, the way he's pitched. If he continues to pitch like he did in the playoffs, it might end up being him. But I think as of this point, it's Montero. Kevin, how about that that close from Minnesota? Have you uh, what you think? You like him? That Durangod is supposed to say he's uh, supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I like him. I think he's in that second level of closers. And I was disappointed I didn't get him once I didn't get the other guys that I wanted. But. uh He's just, he's still in that not mature enough to where if he blows a couple, it might mess with him mode. So he scares me a little bit, but great ability. All right, Kevin. Have a good day, buddy. Take care. Thank you. Closers is just, you know, it's it's so hard because it's the position that if you fail, a lot of times they, they get it. They take the role from you, and if you and if you and you may never get it back, like unless you go to another team. So, it's it's such a feast or famine pick uh, in fantasy. I think it makes it very very complicated. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello, hey Foot. This is the guy from South of Foos. How are you, sir? Very good, man. I, I wanted to, to make a comment, ask a question, a couple of comments. Um, it's been a long time since I've enjoyed an NCAA tournament like this, and I am so glad to see somebody different going to the Final Four. I sure hope that uh, UConn doesn't win it because, you know, then it would if, – if somebody different wins it, that's just great, man. But – you know, Conference USA has to be eating this up with two teams in the NIT championship and one team in the Final Four. You know they got to be loving this. Absolutely, but you know, a lot of people said coming out going, as we went to the postseason that Conference USA had really had a nice season, and it certainly played out that way. Yes, sir. Now, my my question for you, and you may or may not know this, is. Where is the NIT being played this year? Because I, I looked at a little bit of the semifinal game last night, and that that is not Madison Square Garden in New York. Do you know where they're being played this year? It is in Las Vegas. It, it's where? Las Vegas. Oh, in Las Vegas. Ugh, I didn't even okay. realize that. That's awful. I mean, yeah, you can't play I, the NIT in Las Vegas. That's terrible. Yeah, man, I mean, even for the kids who, who – um, don't make the NCAA tournament. Go and play at the Madison Square Garden is a big thrill, you know, because of the legendary status of that arena. But now they're going to Las Vegas. I don't know what's up with that. Hopefully that, that changes back pretty soon. Well, I'm sure it was some sort of contractual thing. But, yeah, that's all. I'm I mean, sure. the NIT is – I mean, I don't know. That's awful. I didn't realize that. I mean, the, as far as I understand, with regard to history, isn't the NIT the original postseason college yeah, basketball yeah. tournament? Yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a time where the NIT was bigger than the NSA tournament, correct, historically, right. yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have a good day. We'll talk to you next time. Good talking to you. Man, kind of upsets me to hear that. Not, um... No, in fact, when I... To, to South Lafouche's point, uh, when... One of the times that I interviewed Jordan's dad, Dion, uh, he even he even made that comment. Yeah, in his senior year, 
yeah, he wishes they'd have made the NCAA tournament, but one of his lifelong dreams was to play at Madison Square Garden. And by making the NIT Final Four that year, they were able to play Notre Dame and Virginia Tech because uh, they had consolation games still back then, lost by one point to Steph Curry's dad, Dale Curry, uh, and Virginia Tech. Uh, he was able to, you know, kind of fulfill one of those kind of bucket list things playing a game at Madison Square Garden. So I think that definitely is a, um, you know, a, was a big draw to the NIT. So that is just, that's terrible. I, I mean, I don't pay attention to NIT news. I'm not, I'm not surprised that that little fact slipped by me, but that is kind of a bummer that um, they're playing it in Las Vegas now. Now, for young players today, they may not, care about the history of the NIT. I'm pretty sure they don't care or know anything about it. So they might they might prefer to go play in Las Vegas as a town, although New York is is, is New York. But um I don't know if you know anything about the history. I don't know. I think I'd much rather play in Madison Square Garden than play uh in Las Vegas, but it is it is it is what it is. So um you know, again, we'll we'll look at the see how baseball starts. By the way, tomorrow is a unique baseball day. It's the first time since 1968 that all the teams in Major League Baseball start on the same day, and everybody plays. It's the first time since 1968. So. What's the significance of 1968? Why 1968? See if we can. If you're asking me, I do not know. Yeah. It's because division play began in 69. Uh, and, and, and most of my life, like some teams would start on Monday and some teams would start on Friday. Now, in the last 10 to 12 years, however long, they started this where that – for a while there, the first game was on that Sunday night. Like one team would play that Sunday night game, and then they would go. And then now we're starting at the end of the week, which never happened, you know, most of my life. But most of my life, you know, a lot of, they would do that. Where some teams would start on Monday, and it was usually the day that the NCAA basketball tournament final championship game was going on. And then some teams would start on the Tuesday. A lot of people would play on Monday and then be off Tuesday and play again Wednesday. They just did all that weird schedule stuff. So it's kind of cool. I mean, everybody is starting um, tomorrow for the first time since I was two years old. That was a, That's getting to be a long, long time ago. We'll take a timeout, shift gears, talk some Cajun football um, with Troy Wingerter next on the game. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And, of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what kind of safe fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana sports station. station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL 
director of ops, assistant coach, whatever you want to call him, Mr. Troy Wingerter. How are you, sir? Man, I'm great, Foot. How about yourself, buddy? Hanging in there. A week from tomorrow is going to be a very eventful day on the campus. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, when we started talking about the spring game back in the, during the season, we start looking. That calendar's funky, man, you know, and you start trying to decide when you're going to have your spring game, but you still need to have enough time to be able to have your foundation period, to be able to have your identity period, and then, of course, your, your 15 days that you get in. The, the calendar presented some unique situations or op- opportunities for us um, because normally a lot of teams, what they would do is, with spring break being so late, they would go ahead and split their, their, their camp and have, have the spring game a week after spring break. And, you know, just kind of knowing the, the nature of the beasts, we felt like it was important to get that, to get that spring game in uh, before the kids went on spring break to kind of keep their undivided attention. So uh, we looked at the calendar and felt like, you know, Holy Thursday, uh, which is, you know, in, in, in South Louisiana, uh, most people are off on Good Friday. So Holy Thursday might present a good opportunity on a Thursday night. Uh, during uh, d- during during that period, to be able to uh, to bring all of our Cajun fans into Cajun Field, and, uh, and and kind of show them a little bit of the future and what we got coming for them in, in the twenty three season. So, what other like um, is it? You know, kind of if someone's interested in going, what do they need to know? Are there any other kind of like events going on, or or how, when do they can they show up? And just tell us all the details there. Sure, man. So we're going to actually we'll we'll start getting down on the field around seven. The players will start entering the field around 7 p.m. Uh, we'll start the actual scrimmage portion on at 7:30. Now, I mean, it's no—I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. Having one quarterback certainly presents a unique situation of uh, <laughs> having a red and white spring game. So uh, it will be more manufactured. Will be a little more, uh, even though there will be competition here. Uh, we still have the Zs and Beans competition, uh, the Zs and Beans uh, presentation that'll be the week afterwards. Where the losers get Zia's uh, uh, grits and, and, and chicken and, and, and ribs that are donated by Zia's for our, our team, and the losers get beans with no sausage in them. Um, but uh, having one quarterback is going to make that a little bit difficult. So we'll have some some unique scoring situations to be able to allow the the, the opposite team from the quarterback to be able to gain some get some uh, get some points. Uh, so they've got an opportunity for there, for there to be a winner or loser. You got to have a winner or loser. Contrary to what society says, Kevin. Right. I, 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 get, I get it. Now, you've been around a long time. Have you ever, you know, usually it's an offensive line issue from my experience or my memory that, that complicates. I don't know that I ever remember a one quarterback situation. No, me either. You know, the, the two young men that left and got the portal uh, probably did what was, what was best for them, and I'm happy for them. They've found homes, uh, you know, and then. You know, you you lend yourself into um, to having you know uh, uh, Ben, who we knew Ben was out, but you know who who knows you know an appendicitis. Who has an appendicitis? Yeah, you know, three days before you start camp. So uh, I, I think that, you know this has been a great opportunity for Z. You know, he has really turned a lot of heads and and, and gotten really uh, become a real student of the game over the last four weeks. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, we had we had our 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 pro day last Wednesday and uh, he had to throw for pro day because we didn't have anyone else to throw. We had no quarterbacks coming out. Levi's up in Canada. And so he threw for pro day. You want to talk about turn some NFL scouts heads. Uh, he was really impressive. Now the other guy we had throwing Jake Delhomme didn't suck either, but it was still, it was still, he was really impressive that day. How did Jake's arm look? 
You know, it's pretty funny. He said that's the best part he's got. He said, having had Tommy John surgery, it's the only thing that doesn't need to be re- doesn't need to be fixed lately. But he threw really well, man. You know, he threw the he had to range him in a little bit. You know, the first guy that was getting the ball, uh, maybe, maybe got a ball that was a little outside their body frame. But uh, once he got to the second or third throw, he was he was he was putting them on the spot just like the old days. You know. You know what? For for the fans, the spring game is a big deal for. From a coach's, and I don't know that a lot of, I don't know that all the fans really get this. From a coach's perspective, basically the haze in the born by then, right? In terms of what yeah. you wanted to accomplish from spring practice. Yeah, you know, because of the distractions, because you don't, you know, you know, once upon a time we actually used to televise this thing. Um, you know, we're not looking to put all that out for public knowledge, but at the same time, it's an opportunity to celebrate the the fruits of your labor and what you did. So. You know, we tend to, even though it'll be competition, even though these guys, I remember two years ago, there was a sack that, um, that Andre, Andre Riley had on Levi to basically end the spring game and for the, the, the white defensive team to win the spring game. And uh, head coach said no and let that two-minute drill go on, and Levi ended up winning and the red team won. And, boy, I mean, it's just a spring game. But Andre Riley wouldn't talk to people for a month. Because that's how it is. It's competition, you know, and you can't play this sport if you're not that competitively oriented to where you want to beat somebody at football, tiddlywinks, checkers. It doesn't matter. You want to beat their brains in because that's how you are when it comes to competition. You can't go out and do what we do and not love the idea of competition and not just thrive on the idea of competition. So that's what you get out of the spring game. The spring game is a bunch of highly motivated guys that are going to get out there and want to beat each other for bragging rights and for some delicious ribs and chicken. And A.J. was right, correct? Like, you, you know he was right. That's right. Now, you know, I'm glad, my, I'm glad my old boss is gone. I'm able to say that a little <laughs> louder. But A.J. was absolutely right. Yes. It was kind of a, man, everybody shook their head on that one. You I know? was uh, angry for A.J. as well. All right, so just to, just, I know. Just perpetuate, perpetuate the stereotypes that all offensive head coaches are, uh, are going to win no matter what. <laughs> All right, so you've been out in practice, obviously, and know more than any of us know about what's been going on. Give me one or two players that weren't like starters last year that any Cajun, anybody who's watched the majority of the games already knows that that fans may want to keep an eye on because you think they could be future stars. You know, um, a couple th- there's, there's a few guys out there. Uh, the, the first one is um, – is, um, I'm sorry, I lost a train of thought, is Lance Lejean. I think Lance is really starting to come into his own as a wide receiver. He's really embraced it. Uh, and, 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 you know, he's such a gifted athlete. I think um, that, that his, 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 the ceiling for him is so high. You know, and he's, he's rapidly approaching it but, it, but he has not come close yet. Um, an, another guy that I feel like really had a pretty good, um, a pretty good spring was Caden Moreau, uh, one, of, one of the young offensive linemen. I thought he had a really nice spring. Uh, they're they're coming along well. All of those young offensive linemen are, are coming along. I felt like last year we were we, we were kind of we were kind of searching a little bit. Guys were kind of um, you know we, we 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 had a lot of previous leaders in that group, and and I think when Ken March left and, and a lot of those older guys left, it made things a little bit difficult uh, for them, uh, especially with um, the leadership needed to, to kind of inspire those guys. But um, the, the last guy that I thought was really, um, 
really, you know, uh, coming on, and I'm, and I'm I'm looking through this right now, real quick, because I want to make sure uh, is is a defensive lineman is a transfer, a D two transfer named Antoine Bayless, and this kid is 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 got a motor on him now. I think our fans are going to love to watch this kid play. You know, they're they're ready for Trey, they're ready for Casey Osai, and Casey you know, played well last year, but you know, but has really moved into a leadership role on the defense. You know, they're, they're ready for the usual names and suspects of people that have played before. This is a guy they haven't seen before. He's got a high motor and, uh, you know, really comes in as a motivated guy. And I think we'll see a lot of production out of him in the, in the fall. You know, I, y'all, are, the one, the one, my one impression coming out of the fall as we're getting closer to coming out of it than I had going in is I really thought that if not the biggest question mark, but maybe this certainly one of the top two question marks on this team was in the defensive line. And the more I, you know, you consider the potential of a Mason Narcisse, which we've seen, and now he's going to be a full-time kind of starter. And then when you saying what you said out of Bayless and what we already know about the potential of Lawson, that unit may be better than I was thinking. I really, I really think they are. I think we've done a nice job of, of, of filling in some gaps there, uh, and and you know, everybody don't underestimate the angry pirate. Now the the angry short pirate and Sunny and Sunny Hazard. You know, that's a young man that people don't don't get a chance to see what he does behind the scenes and his ability to be able to motivate guys and be an incredible leader on that defensive line. There's a there's a void when 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 Zion Hill left. There's a leadership void that just automatically happens. That dude has been a staple on that defense for a, for a hundred years, for lack of a better term. And uh, you know, not having him as a leader kind of left a void. And Sonny has done a great job of filling in that that area. You know. Well, I know one thing. We learned it last year. The man can talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he can. Yes, he can. All right, sir. Well, one more time on your way out. If you let everybody know the details, if they want to go to Cajun Field next Thursday. Sure. We'll be at Cajun Field. The, the scrimmage actually will start around 7.30, but we'll get started. We'll be out there around 7 if you want to come out early, get a little tailgating in. Uh, now, we're going rain or shine. Doesn't, weather does not look great for next week, and I know I shouldn't be saying that out, out of the opposite side of my mouth, but if we don't go, we're going to go in the indoor. We're going to, we're going to cordon off uh, about, about 20 yards of the indoor practice facility on Wednesday night. and uh, I mean Thursday night, excuse me, and uh, we're going to get after it. So uh, we'll, st- we'll still invite the fans in there to come and watch. Uh, and, and watch us in the indoor. But we'll get started, like I said, we'll get started around 7, but the scrimmage will start about 7.30. All right, sir. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day, man. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. Are you hanging in there, coach? Oh, I'm doing as well as you can do after a tough loss. I, I, These I, kind of losses, they, uh, they make you re-examine everything. Well, I, they do me. I, and, uh, I understand. So I'm not a pleasant person to be around after a loss. <laughs> I, I get <laughs> and it. it. And then I, I you got to go a week in between. You know, if you play again on Tuesday – 
or Wednesday, you can kind of move on when you just have to sit on it all the way to, you know, to the following Friday. It's a long, long, tough period to, to be a miserable person for that long, but that's the way it is. <clears throat> and that's why coaches' wives are very special people sometimes. Uh, she just knows to stay away. I don't <laughs> even go near her. Just let me sit out in the yard. <laughs> I understand. You know, when we first got the word, and I thought about this this week because I, I, I've kind of not really thought about it much. When we first got the word, however many, what was that, two years ago, whenever, that James Madison was coming into the Sunbelt Conference, my first thought is, man, what an incredible softball rivalry that's going to be. And I remember during the football at Sunbelt Championship Asking Coach Gill, are they going to be able to work out a deal where James Madison and the Cajuns can play in softball every year? And then they had the you know the incredible tragedy of a player dying, and it kind of derailed their program a little bit because they were coming off a World Series appearance. So, but now that it's here, it's like this really could be a nice rivalry. The beginning of it, don't you think? I think it will be. I think that they have a. They've been going through a little bit of a down period, but they've, they've got the tools in place. They've got a very, very, very good coach uh, that took them to the World Series two years ago. And, you know, I think you're seeing, like, they've won their last six games in a row. They've kind of they beat North Carolina. They've got their feet back on the ground now and are getting better each week. Uh, and I don't have any doubt that she's going to bring that program back up so it'll be in one of the top teams in our conference. We've got a really good conference right now, and that's reflected in the RPI, you know, that makes, shows our conference being the sixth best in the country. <clears throat> and if you look at the top teams, like, you know, you, you, in my opinion, there's the, the, the four top teams in the conference are all on the western side, and Marshall is is another real out that they'll probably win the eastern side. Or the, you know the, it, it's just a great softball conference. There's six really really good teams this year, and and then you've got up and coming programs. I feel like at Louisiana Monroe, I feel like Georgia Southern. It's a matter of time with Coach Perkins there. Um, I, it's, there's a lot of excitement. I, I, Southern Miss has had a history of success back in the early days with Lou Harris, uh, Champer, and you. You know, it's going to be a really fun uh, conference, I think, for softball. And I think that the biggest cross-division rivalry will definitely be James Madison and Louisiana. There's no doubt about that. All right, as far as this weekend, like, what do they do that gives you concern? Well, anytime you play inconsistently, that gives you great concern as a head coach. And then... Up until Sunday, we had not lost a game that we, you know, should have won. Every game we should win, we had won. Uh, Michigan was kind of a, a toss-up game. I felt like I felt like we were better than them. So, you know, that was the closest. That was the closest game to come where you say we we lost and we shouldn't have lost. But when you're, you know, I didn't. I felt like it was just an early season game that two teams played and either team could have won. It didn't upset me as bad as Sunday. Sunday was really upsetting the fact that we had a you know two game winning streak there, and we had the lead in the series two to nothing. We'd won twelve to nothing. 
you know, and we come out and we give them three runs right off the bat. So we're playing defensively, trying to catch up. You know, we're bunting to get one run to tie instead of playing for two runs or three runs to win if you're tied or in the lead. And it, it just – and then we finally get back 3-3 three, three and we come out and we walk about it and we make two consecutive errors back-to-back. Um, you just don't like losing that way. Late in the game on your home field, uh, first home conference series, alumni weekend. There's just so many reasons that as a coach, like that's the kind you don't want to lose. And so then you go into this weekend, you're looking at all the situations and the injuries and, and where you're at and, uh, you know, who's going to be able to play and who's not going to be able to play. And you go into this weekend and you're traveling again, way back across the country, uh, leaving here early in the morning at 7 a.m. and having to fly. There's just a lot of things about this series that <clears throat> is really concerning to a coach. And then you, you also got to be careful your team's not looking ahead to South Alabama, Troy, and Texas State those following three weekends. This is a weekend we got to go take care of business and worry about this weekend. And when we get back, we worry about McNeese on Tuesday night. We worry about um, Texas State and South Isle and, and Troy in those X3 series because it's, it's a really brutal part of our schedule and it's been a hard schedule and this is another segment of it that's a dangerous part of it. What do, what does James Madison do best that could give y'all trouble? They're big physical. They've, been, they've recruited uh, big physical kids are strong. They can really hit the ball. And then they've got a history of having great pitchers and they've got different styles of pitchers. The pitchers have struggled at times, but they've also pitched very well at times. But just the fact that if they put it together, you know, they're going to, it's going to be a big weekend for them. A beautiful stadium, by the way. And they, and they draw a good crowd. So you would think that they would have a really good crowd there for Louisiana. So you, that's what you worry about as a coach. If they, if they put their, their hitting can hit, they got big, strong hitters. And if they hit and the pitchers, you know, pitch good this weekend and you're at home with a good crowd environment and things start to go, you know, south on you, then, you know, it, it could be a very um, – momentum could play a huge part in the series. So we want to go in. We need to go in and play really good softball from start to finish. And uh, that's what that's what my concern is. A couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that you needed to kind of decide and, and, you know, you could change your mind, obviously, whether you were going to th- start three different starting pitchers or, you know, kind of pitch your ace in game one or game three, which is what probably most teams around the country do. And then bec- for circumstance reasons, you ended up starting Carly in the first game. H- how do you kind of see it working out this weekend? Yeah, I think that was a – there's a couple of things that played into that, and then we went with Carly, and I could see us doing it again because it worked out really good. I mean, she threw a great game. In fact, Carly's been red hot. I mean, she the thing that Carly Heath brings to the circle is she goes out there and just throw it down. You know, she's a warrior. She's just going to go out there and and throw it as hard as she can at you, and and she's going to place the ball in different locations, and she's pretty good at that. But the main thing she does, she just competes. So that's a great thing to put out there in the circle on the first day. But then you've got the veteran, you know, the the pitching mentality of Shoreman and the ability to spin the ball and pitch the ball, uh, break the ball. That's, that's you know, traditionally what we're going to go with, and I think that's what we'll do this weekend. I think you'll see Shoreman game one. Uh, 
and then we'll come back and and we'll see how you know how how the weekend plays out. But I think it's your. I would. I, I'm thinking in my mind. I'm thinking, and we'll talk to Coach Justin and see what he his final thoughts are. But I'm guessing he's going to go with Sharman in game one, and then come back with Heath game two or Kendra Lamb in game two. Coach, with all the traveling that y'all did, I, I know y'all were at home, but is it possible that having this second week in a row with no midweek games, that this is what's going to allow you to kind of for your ball club to kind of catch their second win and start swinging the bats again? Have you, have you had that thought? I mean, is there anything to that? Yeah, I, I, I've had all I've had all kinds of thoughts and. I just don't know how it's going to play out. I hope that's right. We we give ourselves a couple of weeks off here for a reason to get to get our breath and get going. We know it's a really huge part of the conference schedule coming up, and then that Tuesday night game at McNeese is going to be really important. You know, we we don't fly back until Monday because the game Sunday is at 3 p.m., so we couldn't get a flight. It's two hour drive to the Washington Airport from uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia. So we all get back to a Monday afternoon. So we're going to play McNeese with no practice from from Thursday or Wednesday of this week until Tuesday of next week. We will not have practiced. We're just to played three games against James Madison. That's not ideal. That's not ideal circumstances. But it's the way the schedule is complicated by the by the larger conference now and the, and the more intense travel in the conference. Um, and we'll we'll take it as it is. But. It's going to be interesting this series, and then you come back after a Tuesday night game with uh, McNeese, and you've got two days to practice and get ready for your comp- big conference series against now who probably competing with us uh, on our side of the conference. Well, it's certainly going to be a challenge. We appreciate your time as always, and good luck to y'all, Coach. All right, yep, we're looking forward to it, and and uh, hopefully we get some momentum coming back our way this weekend. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. On Babbel.com. Why doesn't Kevin Foote talk more basketball? Because it's in the best interest for his health not to discuss basketball. I had to give up basketball to save my life. I cannot take basketball. It's way too subjective. More footnotes coming up on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to the game. Want to remind everyone, RP3 and company will be headed to Dallas for the NCAA Women's Final Four. Raymond will be broadcasting from downtown Dallas this Friday morning. Get you prepared for LSU. See if Kim Mulkey can help lead the Tigers to the first national championship game in LSU basketball history, RP3's. Road trip to Dallas presented by Bailey Cigar Room. Um, when the man, the guy from South Lafouche called, he mentioned how he really hopes UConn doesn't win the the national championship in Houston this coming weekend. Dawson is maybe even more of a you know I typically root for mid majors and under slash underdogs in these scenarios, and he's probably even a bigger one than me. So. 
Will it ruin it for you, Dawson, if UConn wins or, or not really? It's still really a, a shining moment for mid-major basketball. Well, no, UConn's not in any way, shape, or form mid-major, so it would not be as cool to me if they won. No, I would say San Diego State, all green lights there. Florida Atlantic, 100%, um, but not UConn. Um, right, but if they win it, will it kind of ruin the moment of the of of, of, no. of the mid May? Or you think having those teams in the Final Four achieves what? what yeah, you I think hope have for? it now. Now it it has been a very long time since a mid major actually took the title. I mean, I I don't even know when the last time was. I guess didn't UNLV win a title back in the day? I mean, there's there's been a couple, but but by the time they won. They were they well. They technically were. They were a power like Gonzaga, team, right? but they like, were like Gonzaga right. on Gon- steroids. Gonzaga is the, the yeah. perfect example. Of like uh, you know, and there's a there's a lot of jokes. If you some of the mid major, you know, blogs and things always say Gonzaga is not a mid major. This or that. Um, so that's kind of always been a discussion. But yeah, the interesting thing in like San Diego State, if they, I think Florida Atlantic's the one for the true mid major. If you're like look looking to support them. Um, because Conference USA kind of came out of nowhere. Now they've had this crazy run in the postseason, but like the Mountain West, it's still a mid-major, and San Diego State's still, I would say, mid-major. But the Mountain West has been putting multiple teams in the tournament for a few years now, so it's not as clear-cut as like, look, Florida Atlantic was the only bid in in Conference USA, and it's always a one-bid league, and so it would be incredible if they did it. So that 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 I will root for Florida Atlantic over any of them. So which one do you think has the best chance? It's funny. I think they both do. Florida Atlantic and San Diego State both do. I mean, San Diego State seeded higher, but I think they're probably Florida Atlantic. I would have argued should have been a five or six seed as well. So I think they're pretty evenly matched. I think maybe San Diego State has the firepower to compete with UConn or those teams more. But I mean, they've both beaten. You know, San Diego State has. They 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 both proven themselves. My point. They both beaten Power Five teams. They both have the ability to do so. So. The interesting thing is they're going to play each other, so one of them is going to get the chance. Um, we just don't know which one, but I, I think they both have a really good shot. I don't, I don't favor. I think that's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a very close game. How surprised will you be if Miami's in the finals? A little bit. Um, once Omir came back and was healthy, I was less surprised about their success. Um, I think that was kind of my hesitancy coming in. Uh, I didn't know if he was going to play and how healthy he was. It looks like, looking back, maybe they uh, maybe they overplayed that or, or just didn't clarify. Maybe it's a strategic thing because he looks fine um, and he looks very healthy. Or maybe they just didn't know how, how healthy he was going to be. But, I mean, he's a difference maker, and they've got their guards, too, have played amazingly, and they've shot the ball really well in the tournament. So I wouldn't be shocked, but, yeah, UConn does seem like the freight train coming down the tracks right now. They're They're playing as good as anybody in the country. So they're the favorite, but I, you know, again, at this point, I think anybody's got a shot, especially in one game. Certainly, uh, that 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 part will be interesting. I just, I don't know. I I like the way San Diego State plays defense. Yeah, that's from the, the little bit I saw of them. It is a and bit they of have contrasting offense to go with that defense. It's kind of contrasting styles. FAU wants to outscore you. San Diego State wants to kind of grind it out and and force you to beat them. And for a team in a smaller conference that's playing in a ginormous arena against it, I tend to favor the defensive team in that scenario. Yeah, that would make sense. And this has been like close to what record low three point shooting percentage in this whole tournament. It was like, I think around 31%. So, like, nobody shot the basketball all that well. Um, now, the teams who have gotten to this point shot it better than most. But, um, 
yeah, this might be a first to 60 type of game. It it could end up being that, especially on that side. So I've heard somebody bring up 1979. I'm like, that doesn't sound right to me. Like, this is the first time since when? Because in 1979, Indiana, that's when, when, uh, you know, my dislike for Larry Bird began. I mean, the Magic in Michigan State was a two seed and Indiana State was a one seed. So, I mean, that was. Have you heard, like, when was the last time no top three seeds were in the Final Four, or has that never happened? I believe that has never happened yeah. in the modern format. I heard someone mention 1979, and I'm like, eh, that that's not right. I very much remember that that Final Four. Now, there was somebody that came out of nowhere in that when Penn made it. It was like a nine seed. I'm like, I still... I still think about that sometimes. Like, how did Penn do that? They beat number one North Carolina that year. Penn. You know, I well, Princeton, I still don't know how that happened. I mean, Princeton did it this year. Um, yeah, UNLV in 1990, by the way, would be the last, you know, quote-unquote mid-major. Um, but like you say, and I mean, UNLV was kind of a basketball powerhouse at that point, so it would be more comparable to maybe Gonzaga or someone. I don't know if they were quite the level Gonzaga's been without winning a title, but but maybe so. Well, I think they were considered more of a favorite. Like yeah. They, they yeah. were. They didn't come out of nowhere that yeah, season. Oh, yeah, FAU but they were a that. top five team. Like Gonzaga, I, don't, I mean, I guess there's been one or two years where people considered them the favorite. I mean, last year they were the favorite. The favorite to win it all. UNLV was like the favorite, or, or certainly in the top two or three. Um We'll see how, how how that plays out, but no, it's um it's it's fun to consider, no question there. Appreciate all the great guests we had. Y'all have a nice day.